Well, it's been a, a long, it feels like a long time since we've picked up our series on Not a Fan. We've been talking about this idea that God does not want fans, but he wants completely devoted followers. And uh, we took a break last week because of our faith promise, which, uh, by the way, was amazing. Thank you to all of the Missions Council for putting that together and um, all, of the, all of you who have made contributions to that. We, uh, our, our faith promise is just uh, awesome, and I'm happy that we're able to continue to support missions like we do. But um, that's what we did last week. So we're going to continue our series. We have just a couple weeks left. Um, today we're going to be talking about a follower's grace. So uh, where I went to school, I went to school at SNU in Bethany, Oklahoma, uh, and graduated from there. And, you know, I was actually, I was a pretty good student. A lot of you know my history there. I, I went to be a doctor, started out pre-med, and um, about halfway through, God called me into ministry. So I changed my degree from uh, pre-med to sociology. I was trying to find the closest related field without staying a fifth year. You know, if I would have went into some kind of religion degree, I would have had to add another year because I needed the extra courses. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be one of those five years. Actually, every college student wants to be there for the rest of their life, just so you know, and we're clear about that. Nobody wants to leave college. Um, it's, it's an awesome, fun experience. But uh, I remember thinking, I'm going to get done in four years, be done with it. Uh, so I got my degree in sociology. And um, I remember, so I was a good student. Um, I, I, I studied. I had those habits. I had planned on being a doctor. I was just, so I knew how to do all this stuff. I was not concerned whatsoever with the switch to sociology. And uh, I could remember one time, I'm telling you that just to let you know that I was a good student, okay? I wasn't the, the, a bad student or a slacker. So I, I remember one time, though, I um, went to class. It was one of my sociology classes, and I can't remember which one it was. I was trying to remember as I was getting ready to tell you guys this little story of my life. But I, I remember in the sociology class that um, we, we took a test one day, and, uh, you know, we get through the test, back in the dorm room, and I get a phone call from the professor. <laughs> it's never a good thing when the professor calls your dorm room. Uh, this predates cell phones, by the way, or at least not everybody had one because they were bigger and uh, less affordable back then. So uh, they called me in my dorm room. I was like, hey, what's going on? And uh, she says, well, I need you to come to my office and see me. Uh, again, not a good thing to have the professor call you at your dorm and then to say, come see me. So I went into the professor's uh, office. We began to talk about the test, and she says, Cal, you've been accused of cheating on this test. <laughs> Seriously? It's just sociology. <laughs> I'm joking. I didn't say that. I was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, well, I, I was, I was uh, confused because I hadn't cheated, um, and I told her that, and I'm sure every person accused of cheating says the same thing. Like, I don't know how many say, oh yeah, you caught me. Uh, I said, I, I didn't cheat. I didn't um, I was confused on a couple of levels. First, it's a question of your integrity, you know, like my integrity was questioned. And then uh, second, I was angry that somebody would accuse me of cheating. I, I will say, in, in defense of, of her and of other people, that, um, I mean, I, 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 was, 
I'm a looking around kind of a guy. You know what I mean? Like my attention is hard to stay focused on one thing. So I just, I just, you know, I'm looking around. And so somebody probably thought, but anyway, regardless, I wasn't cheating. And uh, so I told her that and she was like, well, you know, uh, the school policy is, I mean, you could be expelled for cheating in college. And she was like, the school policy is, you know, you could be expelled. You could fail this course and be required to retake the course. You could, like, there's several things. And I was like, what? but I didn't cheat. Like, if you had caught me with my hand in the cookie jar and, you know, and I like, then yes, I understand the punishment. But I, I didn't even cheat. Like, I didn't. And she said, well, there is one thing I can do. I can let you retake the test. And I was like, I mean, I wanted to say, no, I don't, want to, I don't need to retake the test because I didn't cheat. But I, I, I said, yes, I, I, let's retake the test. So it was a point of let's retake the test right there in her room while she watched me take the test. Again, like all kinds of things are going off in my brain, like my integrity is being questioned. You know, I'm not a liar or a cheater. In fact, I, I really can't stand lying in, in my life. My kids know this. I'm just like a lot of things. But I was grateful at the same time that she allowed me to have this opportunity because otherwise she could have said, hey, you're going to have to retake this course. Um, so I ended up retaking the test. And guess what? I got the exact same grade. <laughs> the exact same grade the second time as I did the first time. And uh, I said, nana, nana, boo, boo. <laughs> no, actually, I didn't say that. I said, thank you for the opportunity, uh, Miss Teacher. I can't even remember which one it was now, but I, was, I said, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I actually felt very relieved and grateful that she had given me a second chance. And second chances are awesome, right? I mean, you ever felt like you got a second chance if you felt like you deserved it or didn't deserve it? Like just the opportunity to have a second chance is amazing. And the story that we're going to read in the scripture today is one of second chance. You know, the thing about when we come to God, we come to God dead in bondage because of our sin. I don't know if we truly grasp that concept. We come to him dead, not alive, because of sin. But God, in all of his grace, gives us a second chance. He gives us the opportunity to have a second chance, a chance at redemption, a chance to come to him in this kind of great way. You see, God allows us to replace death with life. He allows us to replace captivity with freedom. He allows us to replace bleakness with hope. You understand what I'm, I'm getting at here? The, the dichotomy between not having God and having God is great. He allows us to replace all the bad with all the good. And that's the second chance that we get. The same second chance is not only offered to me. The same second chance is offered to all who would receive it. Something's on, something's on my heart. And so I'm going to try to tie what's on my heart into what the message is upcoming. Um, I really feel like this year, God has told me, God has told me, and I, I said this from the very first Sunday of this year, this year 
is re-engage. Uh, you guys, if you were here, you remember that. We talked about re-engage. God wants us to re-engage. Re-engage on multiple fronts. One is coming back together. I think it's time for us to, we have, I want to be careful I'll say this. We have the technology and an amazing group of people who, led by Alan, that he calls them the stream team. Really catchy name, I like that. But the stream team, they do a fantastic job. And if you've watched online, then you know it's a great presentation. We have a great online presentation, and I appreciate that. And I, it's a tool for us. I think also there's something to be said about the ability to gather in person, uh, to press in together, to experience together what, we've, what we have this morning. The Holy Spirit was real and and active. My prayer every Sunday morning is, is, Holy Spirit, would you be active and present? I want them to be here with us, and I want them to be active among us, moving in us. Um, a couple of things. So I'm, I'm trying to stay focused here. A couple of things about that. Um, when we get in the presence of God, sin can't exist there, right? God's holy, so sin isn't going to exist in that holy place that God is. And that's where conviction comes from. The Holy Spirit comes. He convicts us. We feel, we're like, oh man, there's this thing, this, you feel it, a, a, a prick in your heart. And you're like, God, I just, I need you to take that. Like, I, forgive me for this. Whatever it is in your life. As the Holy Spirit is here, as we press in to him and, and as we press in together and as the Holy Spirit presses in on us, those things are going to be squeezed. And I've seen it happen in churches where as those things get squeezed, people become, man, I, the vimnant, like unreceptive. In fact, I've seen it happen where people don't like that and they begin to push them back. And I've seen revival begin to come to a church and then it get pushed away. No, no, no. We don't, don't mess with the don't, I don't want to be convicted. Like that doesn't feel good. I don't like that. So we push them back and we keep doing church. But then what's the point of church? I mean, why are we even here? All of this is not so that we can have a club of like-minded people. All of this is so that we can gather together, encourage one another, and then be the scattered church through the week. Like we are the church during the week. That's, that's the truth of it. The ecclesia, as it's called in the New Testament, which actually means a gathering of like-minded people. The ecclesia is not spoken of in a way that is this. It is this out there. That's what we're to be doing. So back to, so he said to me, this is the year to re-engage. We're going to re-engage. Re-engage together, but re-engage with him. Which brings me to the point of what are we doing? Which is why we're on this not a fan. Are we fans or are we followers? Are we fans that enjoy what we have going on and we're like, yay, rah, rah, God, this is awesome? Or are we completely devoted followers giving ourselves entirely to him who become the scattered church during the week and then we gather to be refilled and then we're scattered again 
Um, God wants to, and so this morning as the Holy Spirit gathers together with us, and as, I don't know if you felt it, God's been telling me he, he wants revival. I felt it come on one other time and it went away. Apparently we weren't ready. This morning I felt somebody actually leaned over and whispered to me. And I felt, this is the beginning. <laughs> That's crazy. This is the beginning. Are we going to embrace it? Or are we going to say that that doesn't feel good and push it away and then wait some more years? I don't want to wait some more years. I mean, I want the Holy Spirit. I want changed lives. Again, we don't exist to have a nice place to meet. We exist so that people come to know Jesus. We are the very manifestation of the kingdom of God in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in the lives of people that we work with. We are the, manif do you understand that the manifestation, that word, the manifestation, the, the full embodied presence of his spirit, of the kingdom everywhere we go. If people will experience the kingdom of God, it's going to be because they experienced it through us. Because where we go, the Holy Spirit's with us, right? So we take it. There's a kingdom bubble around us. Everywhere that we are, things are safe. Things are, are not judgmental. Things are as they should be in the kingdom. We take that with us. Justice is done. If you guys remember that. Not justice as in judgy. Justice as in people get their due rights. Which in the kingdom of God means the lowest people get elevated. It's a topsy-turvy world, man. So this is what God's doing. And I hope that we can, as a church, that you, I hope you can capture the grandeur of this moment. That you can understand what it is that God is doing in this church, in this moment, today. Today. He said, it's the beginning. Today. It starts today. Today's the beginning. Will we press in on that? Are we going to do that? Are we going to choose to be, <laughs> I'm so far behind. Are we going to choose to be fans or followers? Because we have a choice to make. So I want to talk about the grace of God and where the kingdom is. And I, I will attempt to get this done in a reasonable time. I'm not going to give you a time limit, but a reasonable time. Because this is so good in John chapter 8. It's an amazing story. I love this story, so I'm for sure going to talk about this this morning. If you'd like to follow along in the notes for today's message, you can go to the uh, church's app. There, there's a sermon note section in there or the Bible app. You can find it there. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery that made her stand before the group and, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. 
When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now, go now and leave your life of sin. Okay. So you understand what's going on. This is, if you read in John chapter 7, we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, right? The Feast of Tabernacles is is a feast of the Jews that was to celebrate uh, God's provision in their uh, time of leaving Egypt, when they fled from Egypt. It's a, it's, a, it's a party feast. It's a celebration feast. It's a, this is amazing. We're having a great time. The Feast of Tabernacles, and it was the most popular Jewish festival that there was. And what would happen, they would build tabernacles, dwelling places. They would build them. And uh, some... Some of them probably, I don't know, but I imagine in my mind, some of them were uh, a, like a, a small little structure, like a, a booth. It was also called a festival booth. It might be a, a booth, you know, and you could sleep in the booth. And they would do these outside their homes or uh, people would come from out away from Jerusalem and they would build them around. Some of them might be kind of a tent structure, but there was this real vacation atmosphere around the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, almost, some have described it as like a spring break atmosphere. Everybody's having a good time. It's a big uh, celebration. It's just great. We're free and, and we're celebrating God. It was really a fun, fun, fun feast. This is probably part of what contributed to their ability to find somebody caught in the act of adultery because of the way that the town was and the uh, energy that was going on and the things that happened around this vacation environment, the spring break environment. So if you read in chapter 7, you see the conclusion of a teaching session that Jesus had. He, he concluded his teaching session, and then after that, it says in the Scripture that everybody went home, except Jesus. Jesus hung out a little bit. He didn't go home. He went to the Mount of Olives, which there's a whole other lesson there because he was prepared. Jesus was always prepared, right? He was uh, spent time praying, spent time uh, worshiping, spent time alone with God. He was prepared. We should be also. So very early the next morning, Jesus was found once again in the temple teaching the crowd. So he got up early in the morning. Everybody else the night before he went home. He got up early and a crowd had already gathered around him. So while he's teaching this, the Pharisees think, okay, we're going to set a trap. In the middle, it would be like me now uh, during this message, somebody busting in and saying, hey, we've got this girl. Look what we found. Look what's going on. Same thing. That's what happened. Jesus is teaching in the temple. The Pharisees and scribes bust into the crowd and they had this woman who probably was wearing a, a sheet, perhaps a loose undergarment. Whatever she was able to, it doesn't say this, but she was caught in the act. Whatever she was able to grab on her way out the door to cover herself. Busted in. Look what we found. 
So imagine her standing there. Now here she is. People have gathered around. Everybody's listening to the teaching. And she's there, shame, halfway naked, trying not to look anybody in the eyes. Just unbelievable. I can't even imagine this kind of scene. And they're shouting out what her sin was for all to hear. Look what we found. Jesus, look at this. We found this woman. Look, she's even naked and she was doing what she shouldn't be doing. She was with these people. The scri- the, we, we caught her in the act. Of course this is a trap. They're looking at this point for every which way they can to condemn Jesus. What the, what the guys left out was what the law really said. Probably they just didn't care. They were disregarding it. So from the outset, they weren't being fair to her anyway. According to the law, the woman first should have been taken to her husband. And then to the Jewish court. This was the wrong way to handle it. Also, the law says the man who was involved should have been there. He should have been brought in as well. But he wasn't. Either he was uh, part of the, the gig or maybe he got paid. We don't know. According to Leviticus, which is they're going by the old law, right? Chapter 20, verse 10. Both the man and the woman were to be judged. It's the law. But they were ignoring that. So here's what I want to get at. And here's where we need to be careful as a church that God wants to start this revival. Wickedness can grow in our hearts. Do you understand that this story reveals just how wickedness can grow in our hearts? These men were the leaders and teachers. They were the preachers and the Sunday school teachers of their day. These men were the religious teachers and here they were endangering this woman's life just to set a trap for Jesus. They had disregarded anything about her. Now listen, they were right. She should have been stoned. That's what the law says. She gets to be stoned. But in order to set a trap for Jesus, they didn't care about her life. She was a pawn in their scheme. We're talking about the leaders the people who they would have considered the most holy among them. Tell me that wickedness had not grown in their hearts. And if it can happen to them, it can happen to us. We can't be too proud. It's the same kind of darkness that Micah confronted in the leaders of his day. Micah chapter 3 says, Listen, you rulers of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. Leaders should have an inward desire to see people honor God. This is the opposite of what the Pharisees were doing. Just like when Micah wrote these words, listen, should you not know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. Micah, talking about their leaders. Leaders should seek to lovingly restore people to a life that honors God. These Pharisees weren't doing that at all. What they were doing was loading the people down with a legalistic burden. 
giving them the weight of this burden. We have to be careful or we will be just like them. The theme of the Bible is grace and mercy and restoration. That's what God's about. And if you take the whole of the Old Testament and the New, it's going to tell you that story. Unfortunately, sometimes those who know God the best or the longest are the ones who forget that first. We have to be careful as God's people not to point out the sin, but to point to the cross. We have to spread the gospel, not the gossip. And it is our job to spread the gospel of the good news, gospel, good news. Our job is to always, as a church, our job is to always point people to God. Always, always, always. I, I wish I could have been there to see the look on the Pharisees' face. They were expecting to catch Jesus. To, that perhaps... Jesus would nervously pause, run his foot on the ground like, oh man, they got me this time. I don't know what's going to happen. That's not Jesus. That's not the Son of God. That's not somebody who's filled, empowered, sourced by the Holy Spirit. He didn't do that at all. What did he do? He stooped down, began to write in the ground. They're talking, naked woman, yelling all the stuff, and he's, writing, he's writing in the ground. Now, if you look culturally, that means I just don't care right now. <laughs> in their culture, if you look at what that meant, it just, which would probably be the same in our culture. Like, eh, I just, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. Situationally, I don't care. That made them mad. Like, that agitated them so they begin to ask questions and insist that he answers. So Jesus stood up and he says, listen, any of you who's without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. Go ahead and do it. Throw the first stone. Now imagine with me, if you will, the atmosphere at this point. Can you imagine? Here it is. They, they are trying, really it's kind of like a riotous environment right in the middle of Jesus' teaching, trying to get him to say something or to, to, to say something against the law. And so this is what he says. Hey, if you're without sin, go ahead, man. Throw that first stone. Which is, it, what was he writing in the ground? Everybody wants to know. What was he writing? We don't know. There's no way to know. I mean, I've got some ideas. I've read some things that I really like. Maybe he was just giving them time to think about what he had said, you know. Some say he was writing their sins on the dirt. Like, hmm, Joe, I know you did this one here. And, oh, Phil, there you are. Look at this. Some say he was writing, some speculate he was writing the name of the guy who was involved. What? How does he know that John did that? <laughs> we don't know. Maybe he was writing the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. The interesting thing about this is they could have stoned her. 
but on the condition that they had never wanted to do the same thing themselves. That, that was what he was saying. The word used here is anamartetos, the Greek word. And it means not only without sin, but without a sinful desire. It, it means if you haven't had this desire, anamartetos, if you, if you haven't had this desire, he, he wasn't only saying, if, if you haven't done this, because they would all be like, I've never committed adultery, I've never. So he wasn't saying only have those who have never committed adultery, but if you've never had this desire, which is just like Jesus, right? Because the law says, thou shalt not kill. But what does he say? Man, if you hate somebody, it's like killing them. Like he always takes the law one step further. So he says, hey, listen, guys, I'm saying not only if you haven't, this is all unwritten. It's just implied by the word. Not only have you not committed adultery, but also you haven't wanted to. And you know what happened? Every single guy there apparently had wanted to at some point in their life. Because they were like, yeah, he's right. He's right. We're just as bad. Dropped their stones and walked away. And, and, and Jesus didn't go easy on her. He, what did he say? He said, are your accusers here? She said, no. He said, well, uh, he said, there's nobody left to condemn you. She said, no. So what does he tell her? Go and leave this life. Like, don't do this anymore. He didn't pat her on the back and say, okay, that's fine. Good job. And that's what God does to us. He doesn't leave us where we are. He, he says, listen, I recognize what's going on in your life. I see what's happening. Don't stay there. And this is what he's beckoning our church into right now, into this revival. Today, he's, today he said, I'm telling you, today, God said today, it's the start. Will we lean into that? He's not going to leave us here. He's going to take us somewhere. Now, we can say, meh, I don't want that. You know, when Jesus did this for her, he knew what her sin was going to cost him. Teresa said, I should tell you, look in my eyes. Look in my eyes. <laughs> he knew what this sin was going to cost him. Have you thought about that? Every single person that he forgave in the New Testament, when he looked at them and he said, go and sin no more, and he was saying, I'll take that one. I got that sin. I got that sin. He knew what it was going to cost him. He understood the spiritual depth of what he was doing for them. And he was like, I, I'll pay it. <laughs> I'm going to pay this. So do you think he just let her off easy, gave her a pat on the back and said, go on? No. He said, don't do this anymore. That's what he told all of them. Don't sin anymore. Go, go and sin no more. But he knows. He knows you. He knows what you're capable of. And he knows what you've done. And he paid the price anyway. I don't know if that strikes you like it did me. So what does it have to do with us? Okay, let's, we're going to wrap this up. The point is not how she responded. This isn't what I want to get at today, actually. But how will you and I respond when confronted with the same thing? We've talked about grace often here. I love grace. 
Oh my word, if you know me at all, you know I love, the grace of God changed the way I thought about who God was when I fully understood the depth of his love and favor, undeserved. It changed me. So I love grace. We talk about it all the time. But see, a fan creates rules and standards while a follower understands grace. A fan says, hey, here's what we do. Here's what time uh, this is. Here's what you, the way you have to dress. Here's the way you have to act. Here's all the rules to follow. Do those and show up. A follower says, man, God's grace has been so much for me. I don't even know. Like, how, how am I even able to walk in the church? But I can't wait to go. <laughs> right? So here's three things. God is a God of second chances. Never forget that. He gave you a second chance. He gave me a second chance. And every person you meet, he's going to give a second chance. And a third chance. And a fourth chance. And a fifth chance. All of us get second chances. Multiple chances. God is going to give you and them. So when we see them as a follower, we understand grace because we've received grace and we're living into it. Some people haven't lived into it yet, and that's okay. We're going to invite them. We're going to draw them like Jesus did. We're not going to say, hey, go on and keep sinning. We're going to say, man, cut that out. I've got the answer. God wants, Jesus wants to set you free. Jesus will give you the uh, freedom that you've been after. You don't have to live in this bondage to sin. Like Those are the things we say, but we never condemn. Second thing, we need to see people the way God does. That's hard. Because sometimes I look at somebody and I'm like, man, they're annoying. I don't even want to, don't you, and you've all done it. Who's that calling? Mm, decline. I know. We need to see people the way God does. God sees through lenses of grace and he calls us to a deeper walk. And the last thing is, we should focus on pointing people to Christ and not condemning their sin. This is the hardest thing for a Christian, I think. Because the longer we're together, the more we like each other, usually, right? Like we're, and, and then pretty soon we're like, man, I like you. I like you too. Oh, this is awesome. Let's go hang out. Yeah, let's have lunch together. Let's do. And then pretty soon all we're doing is hanging out with each other, having lunch with each other, doing things for each other. Those are good things. But then eventually we, we do it only for each other. It's hard. It's just the nature of people. Every person we see, a friend of mine said, uh, every time you lock eyes with someone, you lock eyes with someone that God loves. Every time you lock eyes with someone, you lock eyes with someone that God loves. Remember that when you look at them. I've, I've went over time today. I think it's okay, though. I try not to be apologetic for that because when the Holy Spirit is with us, man. But I want us to understand what it means to be a follower and to understand what a follower's grace is, to understand who God is, to understand grace in general because the longer we serve God it seems like the less grace we have I don't understand it but we have to be attentive to it keep that grace in our hearts continue to love people continue to see them the way that God does continue to reach out to them the way that God does I've got people in my own life 
one of the things that is hard for me as a pastor to do is to just everybody I rub shoulders with is their church people, right? So I have to find ways to go out. And there's, I've, I've found some ways and I've found some people. And it's hard, man, as a Christian to not say, man, don't be so dumb. <laughs> like, like, look at what you're doing, dummy. Like, if, will you just, I, I know, I, but there's, there's a line between me calling them to a holy life and condemning them. And that's the line that I always walk because I want them to know what sin is, but I also want them to know that I can help them step into that grace that God is bringing them. And it's, it will be a constant tension that I'll always have because I want to I tell them, you, you just need to stop that. Just quit doing that. Everything's going to be fine. But it doesn't work that way. So God, give me Give us the discernment to call a sin a sin, but walk with somebody in grace. It's, it's, it's hard. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit do we have the wisdom and the discernment to be able to do that. So, anyway, listen, let me, I love you guys. This is, today's been awesome. It's the start. Pray about that with me, will you? Today, today's the start. Starts today. Let's lean into that. What a what better time can there be? Starting Ash Wednesday, the season of Lent is coming. Easter after that, our Easter egg hunt, all that. It's gonna be awesome, man. Let's lean into that. Holy Spirit, what do you want from us? And I'll ask you this. It is in times like this that as sin, that as we get squeezed and sin gets revealed. Don't run from it and don't fight it and don't become angry at it. Just give it to God. Because if you fight that conviction, then it hurts all of us. All right, let me pray. God, this morning we are really grateful. <laughs> Holy Spirit, what a day it's been. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for the feeling of, it's not, I know we don't base our relationship with you on feeling, but just the, when we're in your presence, it feels awesome. So I'm thankful for that. Thank you for patience to go a little long today. May we never rush you though, ever. 